Welcome to Truck Stop Murder and True Crime Podcast. I'm Gary Howard. And if you're a returning listener, thank you. If you're a new listener, I am a truck driver. I work for OT. I'm an OTR truck driver for Prima Express out of Joliet, Illinois. And I travel all over the 48 states, continental states of the United States. And I have to take a 10-hour break every day. And during that 10-hour break, on this podcast, I'll talk about that truck stop and a murder that I find around it. And today is especially crazy one, I think so. Has a little build-up story beforehand, and then a murder, you know, truck stop murder. That's why it is. But this episode brings us to the actual city is in Townsend, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Oh, don't know if I'm going to say that right, but Massachusetts. And that'll be the last time I say that name because I know I'm butchering it. But the truck stop is in Leominster, Massachusetts. It's all town. It's a small truck stop. But really, let me tell you something about Massachusetts. Last time I was there, I had to deliver in Boston. And I could not find a truck stop nowhere. There's little service plazas everywhere. The Northeast is really known for its service plazas. But as for me, I mean, I might be wrong. If you're a truck driver, listen to me, tell me I'm full of shit. I don't know. I'm just only going to go by my experience. And I can hardly, there's, especially around Massachusetts, anywhere east of New York, I have, have a hard time finding truck stops. Service plaza is fine, but especially around Boston, nothing. But anyhow, this truck stop here is Alltown in Leo Meister, Massachusetts. It is on X Road, New Lancaster Road, Exit 7. So overall itself, it has a 3.2 rating of 134 reviews. Not too bad. A lot of, it seems like a lot of truck drivers like it. As of right now, the lot is, well, two days ago was the last time anybody gave an update on it. Now it only has like 25 spots. It has overnight parking, a couple showers, wash your ass. Wi-Fi scales, ATM, uh, old school type truck stop. And if you're a trucker and you come through there and you want a little bite to eat maybe, let's see what they have. All the information I'm telling you right now is off a trucker's path. Now, what I do do is I go within... I try to stay within a half a mile of the location because a half a mile is not that far away. If you don't like what they have, of course, they probably have the regular truck stop food. But they have a Dunkin' Donuts. One on the Trucker's Path, it says Dunkin'. Don't forget, that's where I get this information from. Is Trucker's Path. Dunkin' Donuts. Then there's a subway. That's 155 foot, so I'm assuming that's in the place. Uh, McDonald's, the all-town truck stop. Like, and if you want to go grocery shopping right there. There's Aldi's and a Dunkin' Donuts again, Aroma Joe, um, that's coffee and tea if you want some coffee, Texas Steakhouse, Roadhouse, so there you go, place to eat within a quarter mile, Walmart's right there, there you go, I think that's right across the street if you want to stop at Walmart, Mr. Mike's Mini Mark, and that is it, but I think that's pretty much everything you might need, like I said, Walmart's there. They have a pretty good deli. I love their chicken there. If you get a little chicken bites like the general chickens, that is really good. So you have a variety to eat. You won't go hungry. 
you probably have more issues parking. If anything, I said it only has 25 parking spots. And since this is being Massachusetts, in a lot of these small towns, they have their local drivers who are, use these places for their hometown trucking. When they come home, they park their trailers or drop their trailers and go home for a couple of days. A lot of times they're friends with the owners, and that's what they do. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Matter of fact, I am recording this from Livingston, Texas, from inside my house. So I'm excited. Got my cats watching me. the sandpaper right there. My my cat just sitting there doing nothing. I have the other cats. I don't know where they're at. Oh, there's zero in front of me. They're pretty quiet, so you won't hear none of them. But let's see what people think about this truck stop. The reviews of this place. One I thought was funny. has a little X and no beer with a beer bottle. No dilly, try Walmart across the street. That's a three star. A one star, like six trailers with no trucks and like five day cabs taking up spots. Okay, like I was telling you about that. It's kind of local. There's really not, because there's not many truck stops, these day cabs are probably just trying to stop for lunch. I don't know. Four star, clean place with, had quite, had a quiet night. Okay, five star, one spot left. I guess you just give an update to anybody who wants. One spot left at 12.15 p.m. That's afternoon, so only one spot left. So like I said, there's a the guy asking a question, any parking, and that was the answer. There you go, let me see two months. No, that it took him, that was three months ago. That was, took him a month to answer. So five star, very not bad, which... Two liberals out there might be equivalent to an excellent place's top. I don't know what that got to do with lib. I don't know. I guess I'm kind of naive when it comes to the political aspects of things. I don't know liberals, lefties, whatever. I got better things. But anyhow, four stars. The showers are finally back from August 11th, 20. It's $12. If you go there and you want to wash your ass, it's $12 or 50 gallons of fuel. There you go. Very nice. Another five. Very nice. Showers closed. I guess that's when it's closed. Three star people. If you stop here, you need to update it and leave a review. I guess I don't know who. Another free. And one more review. And it says it's a one star. No showers. Only hot air blowing out. Blowing hand dryers. Not only hot air blowing hand dryers seems like the company is just incredibly lazy and doesn't actually care about preventing the spread of covid this decided to just use the bathroom and not purchase anything or spend any money and i bet you this asshole he left a picture let's see shower one showers are temporarily closed we apologize for inconvenience so if for some reason he had to take a picture of that but and I bet you he parked there overnight. So now we as truckers, even myself, there's the reason why some places charge for parking. Now as for tea and Petra, I gave my. If you're a current listener, you know I don't like them. But with these smaller places, I do understand pay parking when you do have truckers just come in and use the facility for parking only. But TNA and Petro take that to a whole new level altogether. Not only parking, but everything's, well, I'll stop right there. Just 
Everything that place is crazy. The restaurants is the only place I've ever been to that charges extra at the restaurants for the convenience of parking, but for being a truck stop. So there you go. There's the Old Town truck stop. Now on to the murder. So today we talk about Danny Laplante, and for the longest time I've got his name wrong because his name is spelled Le L. A-P-L-A-N-T-E. And Google's picking it up, everything. Well, I'm saying Danny LaPlante. But it's actually Danny LaPlante. Danny LaPlante lived with his mother and stepfather while growing up in Townsend. LaPlante was sexually and psychologically abused by many adults in his life. He lived in one of those places like a trailer park trash where a lot of people... Knew it was a small town, and they were known as the junk collectors, a lot of trash around the outside of their house, and they were kind of like the partiers, whatnot. But LaPlante's father was responsible for the majority of abuse, which was actually his stepfather. He also struggled with school. He was diagnosed with dyslexia at an early age, and his classmates called him creepy and weird. As a teenager, he was referred to as a referred to a psychiatrist because of his abnormal behavior, his appearance, and his lack of hygiene. So in 1986, LaPlante obtained a phone number and address that he thought belonged to one of his, because by that time he actually started like robbing houses and whatnot, you know, burglarizing things, because, you know, with, like I told with his parents and partying, there was no you know, supervision of him, so he just ran the streets doing what he wanted to do. So in 1986, LaPlante obtained a phone number address that he thought belonged to one of his previous burglar victims. The house, in fact, belonged to a family of three, Brian Andrews and his two daughters, Annie, 15, and Jessica, 8. They just lost their mother from cancer. His mother, Deborah. Deborah to cancer. Daniel took special interest in Anna, who was also around the same age as him. LaPlante began to frequently call the house and speak with her. Annie assumed that a mutual friend gave LaPlante her number. After several phone calls from LaPlante, I, I, I'm going to say right now, if I say LaPlante, I do apologize. I know that's wrong, but it's one of the things where it's stuck in my head. I can't get it out, but I've learned it's LaPlante. I would say don't give me no angry emails, but I have not received none or negative reviews yet. So, like I said in the last episode, if you hear something I do wrong, please help me out. So, I don't continue doing it, and I could fix it. can't fix it if you don't know it's broken. Okay, back to sorry. Wherein he described himself as athletic and good looking. Annie agreed to go with him on a date. Go on a date with him for some ice cream as he severely misrepresented himself. So the, the so she, he came, knocked on the door, where the doorbell rang, and she showed up, and he was not what she expected. A nerdy boy with pimples and greasy, I suppose, since, like I said, he did not hygiene well. So, of course, the date did not go well. LaPlante, during the conversation, came up about her mom, so her mom being dead, but he was fixated on the recent death of the girl's mother to cancer and took great interest in hearing about the about hearing about it in depth. He wanted to hear everything about her mom and the death of, with the cancer and everything like that. 
So, of course, these factors led Annie to decline for a second date and never talk to him again. So, let's talk about the Andrews. Frank, back to asking, Frank was really struggling with the loss of his wife as well and had to learn real fast about being a single parent. And for the sake of the girls, he had learned to keep it together for them as well. But working late hours as a bus driver, he had to leave them alone many nights. Annie and Jessica were close age, only one year to keep them, you know, not too far apart, you know, close sisters. But they were like twins, always together and consider each other their best friends. So, as one night, the girls decided to do a seance to see if they could reach their mother due to missing her and hoping to reach her but was unsuccessful, but was caught by their father who was not amused at all about it and told them to never do it again. You are not bringing your mother back, so stop that. So and then a few days later, while doing homework, they heard a knocking that could they could not find where it was coming from. Both checked fr- fr- front and back doors and nothing. No one else was in the house, and their father was at work at the time. They be- so they believed that it was their mother who had saw you know that was them. They really brung their mother back, and she was there watching over them. And the girls happily finished their homework. Thinking mom was helping us, you know, with us. And went to bed and the knocking stopped. This went on every night at the same time like clockwork. As the girls continued to believe it was their mom reaching out for them. Until one night the knocking became loud pouting that was non-stopping. And only, the, all this only happened while their father was at work. By this time, they were convinced it was not their mom, but something that they might have let in to the house. And finally, you know, like an evil spirit or a demon and whatnot. So they finally told their dad. But, of course, he didn't believe them because it never happened while he was there, only at work. Said they were just seeking attention and there was no such thing as ghosts or demons. um, Seances don't work. And their mother was not coming back. Again, he told them that. By the time it ha- happened, all around the clock, day and night. Oh wait, by that time it happened all around the clock, day and night, and always while their dad was at work. But now strange things started happening. Um, you know, banging on pipes, doors closing, lights being turned on and off, items being moved around, nails found in odd places, fed up. Fed up to decide to search the house thorough. You know, they got tired of it. So while they're in the basement, on the wall, they found writing on the wall that says, said, I am in your room. Come find me. They quickly called their father. He rushed home, and after seeing the message, called the police. They did not find anyone in the house, but then noticed, find that the message was written in ketchup. And of course, their father you know, believed his daughters was just acting up, looking for attention, which he grounded them for a while and definitely gave him a good scolding. Said, do not do that again. So it had stopped for a few weeks, no sign of what had been going on until one night when, while the girls were watching TV, the sounds came back and as it was, and in the past there was, her father was at work as usual. The girls ran upstairs to see if they could see where the sound was coming from. To find no one up there. Only a message saying, uh, saying I am back. 
in which the girls raced out of the house to the neighbor's house, called their father. He came home from work, and Poppy just drawn saying, not this again. To find the girls terrified, crying, of course, he thought it was one more of them, you know, one more way of getting attention. He left the girls, then went to his house to find a man. So he went and started searching around the house to find a man standing at the top of the stairs. And now I've heard different, I read different things about this, but they all pretty much say besides one source. But they all said the man was wearing the wife's wedding dress, a blonde wig, and camo face on his face like an Indian war paint and a hatch in his hand. Now I've heard ninja suits and everything, but the most of the places that I've read said that he was wearing the wedding dress and camo with a hatchet. So he ran out, called the police, and the first when the first when they first arrived there, they did not find anyone. Just messages through their house, you know, talking about marry me, I'm here, just everything in ketchup. And finally one officer heard something behind like the stairwell area and found a hidden door in which they found Danny LaPlante hiding there. React, you know, so because the, he was reacting poorly to his rejection, they had like outside door going to their laundry room downstairs in the basement where there is a hole in the back where he could access, you know, like a cross basin through the houses and whatnot. So that's where he had been. But reacting poorly to his rejection, the plant, you know, snuck into Andrew's home, found in the cross space, and lived in the walls for a few months, terminating the girls, tapping sounds, and some mysterious writings on the wall. Of course, he was arrested and charged with several crimes. First, they were going to charge him as a juvenile, but they eventually decided to charge him as an adult. So afterwards, LaPlante was placed in a juvenile facility where he stayed until October ever since because he's, he's still in juvenile, even though they charge him as an adult, but he's still there. I don't think they put him in an adult right away. But he was given bond where his mom only being released because his mother posted bond for him after they decided to charge him as an adult, like I said. From there, he moved with his mom, and right away, LaPlante went right back to his ways, returning to burglary, stealing two handguns from a neighbor's house. So, he's out there running the streets, robbing places, and on December 1st, 1987, a man named Andrew Gustafsson came home discovered a grisly slight at his house his wife deceased body LaPlante entered the town so this is what happened he entered the house of Priscilla Gustafsson a nursery school teacher who was pregnant where he found her face down on the bed and her pillows covered in blood LaPlante had raped her shot her multiple times at point blank through a pillow that he put on her face and then LaPlante drowned her younger son, William, in the bathtub where he sat around. And was what happened was they had came home while he was robbing the house. So they had startled him. So at the time, it was just only William and her. Her other daughter was still at school. Her daughter, Abigail, was at school at the time. But so Priscilla came home with William where William, after he got them raping and killing Priscilla he had drowned William in the bathtub and waited for Abigail to come back home where he did the same thing to her grabbed some items and left so they were actually in separate bathrooms 
So from there, they quickly, you know, solved because each case, even with the, um, when the police went over to the Andrews house, they had found two glasses of wine sitting on the cabinet that was not drinking. And the same thing they kind of saw at this house. So they found a beer, actually, this time, and they quickly kind of connected it together. And so it happened that Danny LaPlante came one of the victims, one of, not the victims, one of the people that they suspected of the crimes. And it so happened Danny LaPlante lived about a half a mile through the woods behind their houses, behind the house. So at first he said he didn't do it. So they went to their house, talked to him. He said he was somewhere else. He was a party. Then they came back for more questions. So a few times. So when they came back to question him again, he had left. He They saw him run through the woods. So a few times old towns over from Townsend. So they looked for him for a while. And finally, a few towns over from Townsend, LaPlante kidnapped the woman in her car. Through Though the woman was able to escape, LaPlante, Plante was discovered. I'll get more detail about this later on in the story during the, the trial part. LaPlante was discovered hiding in a dumpster two days later after the murder. The police took him in a, and inspected his clothing. They found a hair on his sock that was matched for Abigail, Priscilla's daughter, Abigail. A year later, LaPlante was sentenced to three life sentences for murder. So he'll be gone with you. Because of the trial, which I'll all get into, get, be gone with you. Live three life sentences without possibly. Now, keep in mind, at this time he was still a juvenile, so um, he was still a juvenile. You know, technically he was 17 years old, even though he was being charged for a, a dealt with this one as well, but a juvenile. So the evidence they had, of course, he pled through the whole trial. He was pleading not guilty. A chemist from the Department of Public Safety found semen and sperm cells near one of the corner of the bed spread and a portion of a condom on the floor besides the bed. In the bedroom closet, LeClaire found a knotted brown sock dampened with saliva consistent with having been used as a gag. She also found seven ligatures, a necktie, a sock, stocking, and pantyhose hose which had been knotted and been taken from the Grusha's refrigerator, ref apparently was taken from the Grusha's house. Refri in the kitchen wastebasket, police found several pieces of paper which had been torn from pages of pornographic magazines as well. The defendant lived with his family in October 97. That showed that the defendant engaged in a series of daytime burglaries, and this is all during court. In the neighborhood, including a burglary of the Gustavs' home in November 1987. In October 14, 1987, between 12 p.m. and 2.15 p.m., someone broke into 38 Elm Street, the home of Raymond Pindell and his family. Two Ruger 28 caliber guns and their holsters were stolen as a sizable amount and a sizable amount of cash. Approximately three weeks later, the defendant's stepfather discovered one of Pendle's stolen guns and his holsters in the defendant's laundry basket. When conf confronted by his parents, the Danny claimed he was he had obtained the gun earlier with from Westheimer. 
the second of the two firearms stolen from Pindell House later proved to be the weapon used to kill Priscilla Gustav kill Priscilla. And here we go with the mushroom mouth. Blah, 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 like I forget how to read. <laughs> During this time period, the defendant bro- defendant's brother Stephen Laplant and Michael Polinsky both saw Danny with a few hundred dollars in cash, although the defendant was unemployed at the time. On November 16, 1987, between 11.30 a.m. and 3.30 p.m., someone broke into the Gustafson, 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 well, why am I can't say that now, <laughs> Gustafson, Gustafson home, along with, among other things, a thief took a cordless telephone, two cable television boxes, a cable television, a remote control device, and some coins from a Liberty Silver Dollar collection. Danny placed the Gustafsons how court oh, their home why well, can't I say that name? Placed the Gustafsons cordless telephone and a cable box in the brothers two cabinet. The defendant told his brother that he was putting them there to prevent his parents from seeing them. At that time Danny's brother also saw him with some silver coins similar to those reported missing from the Gustafsons' home, including a statue of Li- a statue of Liberty coin in a box. During this period, Danny asked both his brothers and Poleski for bullets. He told them that he wanted to make a large bullet and sell it. Towards the end of November, Poleski gave the gave him a number of twenty-two caliber bullets from a Car he owned, Pulaski gave the remaining bullets to a co-worker. Subsequent bullets tests and laboratory analysis, uh, analysis, analysis, this is, this is, this is, okay. All the remaining bullets revealed that they were the same brand, caliber, class, casings, composition of the ones used in the murder of Priscilla. The Commonwealth also linked the defendant to the murders through physical evidence, laboratory analysis of the defendant's blood revealed that he is a type A, the same status of the semen stain re- discovered on the bedspread of Priscilla, but Priscilla's body was found that way he was found. Laboratory analysis also revealed that the fibers bearing the same microscopic and optical characteristics as a fiber sample taken from a shirt located in the woods found on the clothing worn by the defendant at the time of the day of the murders, on the socks found in the bedroom, on the belt found with the murder weapon, and in three places at the mercy. In addition, fiber samples taken from the sock believed to be used to a gag Priscilla, mass samples found on the gray shirt worn by Danny on the day of the murders. Commonwealth offered Evidence of conscious of guilt. Danny left his home that evening on December second, nineteen eighty-seven. After state police arrived and asked to speak with him, the next afternoon he unlawfully entered the two. And that the afternoon he unlawfully unlawfully entered the two homes in Pepperell, stole a thirty-two caliber revolver, and thus successfully tried to gain him. This is after during the time when he tried to leave. The police, when he all left, this is after they figured out that he might have done it and was questioned more. So, offered, you know, to 
so Danny left his home on the evening of December 2nd, 1987, after state police arrived and asked to speak with him. Of course, his mom would try to get him, but he took off through the woods. The next afternoon, he unlawfully, of course, he entered the two homes and Pepperell stole a 32 caliber revolver and unsuccessfully tried to gain admittance into a third home at the home of Pamela Makila and Pepperell. He ordered her to order at gunpoint to drive him to a in her van to Fritzburg, where she had jumped out of the van, tucked and rolled. Then Danny continued to drive her van. Danny was arrested in industrial park dumpster where he went like a wood place a lumberyard where they have found him in a dumpster. So the, at the police barracks while searching him, police found a loaded 32 caliber revolver hidden in his underwear. And a 32 bullet inside his right sneaker. So he's in court. So the motion to suppress an investigation and conduct. And first, they try to say that while searching the house, that they didn't have a search warrant to search the house because it was actually not one residence, but it was two residents searched. So it was a search evidence of areas surrounding the. For first, they they searched around the area. The Sonnenstein Police William noticed several sneakers. Prince, I'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Several st sneaker prints in a flower bed along the front of the house. Following the prints, Chief May determined that the Goofson's house family nameplate was missing on the door to where their name was on the door. Then the, the night the police stopped brought in tracking dogs who tracked in the woods behind the house. The next day, during the search of the woods between the Goofson's in the LePan's house. I don't know why I'm having so much trouble saying that. Gustafsson and the LePan's home. Trooper Sean Baxter found a blue. And while they're looking between the houses with the dogs trying to figure out if there's any kind of trail between them. Trooper Sean Baxter found a blue and white flannel shirt from the from their house. Nameplate found a nameplate and a pair of soaking wet work gloves and were wrapped inside the shirt. Chemical tests later indicate the premises of a gunshot in my daughter's home of gloves. And let me pause this. Okay. So I had to stop for a second. My daughter came home. I'm so happy to see her. So chemical aid in indicated the presence of gunshot residue on the gloves. The tracking dog sniffed the shirt and began tracking through the woods. The dogs tracked through to the, um, Danny's yard to within three or four feet of his home. Two state troopers interviewed him the afternoon in Townsend's public library. He told them that he spent the previous day home alone watching television. When asked what he was wearing the previous day, he said that he was wearing gray sweatpants, a football shirt, and a pair of Converse sneakers. Police obtained search warrants for his home on December 2nd, 1987. And on December 11, 1987, during the searches, police seized several, you know, Surveillance are not listed in the warrant, so they obtained a lot of stuff that was not listed in the warrant. On April 7, 1981, Stephen LaPlante and Plasky found the murder weapon in the glove glove compartment of a abandoned vehicle in, in his home property. Judge found that the premises had one mailbox with, well, but here's what I was talking about all that. They found that the, the, the house had only one number, one mailbox. And therefore, the only thing about the house was it had two gas lines, 
But still, he did say that everything that was evaluated, you know, talking with the search warrant was valid and the motion press was denied. He also de determined that there was, with the evidence, there was a sufficient amount of evidence found with all that to prove that he was there, that he had took part in the crimes and the murders that happened. Now, during the the thing, he tried to tr he tried everything from mental to mitigating of evidence about how his his life they did not do they did not fall for all that was dismissed. And the evidence because they tried to do fruits of the tree knowledge and did not network at all because later on what the thing is they try to say but they did do a second search warrant and because the second search warrant because they saw it on they tried to they connected it to the first search warrant they said it still would have been there they would have seen it so it was submissible in court so with all that with the clothes with this then they did take his past history and you know consideration of it all all the evidence between the house, all the connection with the DNA evidence and all that, they did find him guilty and sentenced him, like I said earlier, you sir be gone with you, three life sentences without the possibility of parole. So there he is in jail with no chance of getting out. But here's what happened. You know, because of that, because of that, in 2017, of course, the whole time he's trying to get a resentencing, trying to get a lesser one. And but in March of 2000, because he said that he needed because of what he did, he what jail or prisons all about is rehabilitation. And if he had, well, I'm going to he was a youth while he did that. So he was not responsible. So they're trying to get a sentence, get, at least give him a chance of parole. Which they denied, denied until of March 2007, the hearing of Lant was held in Metal Sex Superior Court, Massachusetts, Lampas asked for reduction in his sentence. At the hearing, it was mentioned that during the first appeal, previous court ruling was cited saying that juveniles convicted of murder should be given a meaningful opportunity to re-engage re with society. There was also a new, here's where the law come in a new law allowing juveniles convicted of murder was just dreams cruelty and aggravating to ask for parole after they have been in bars for a minimum of 30 years the judge however gave the plant a maximum penalty of 15 years per uh, issue per us you know my my mind went blank <laughs> per murder and so bringing up 50, 45 years so he is not getting out for 45 years of that and by the time he gets out he will be 63 years old so but here's the thing is i know his family stated that they did they don't think that he should be allowed out of prison but here's the thing just because you're up for pro doesn't necessarily mean that you will get out in jail of that on that pro first year a lot of times people have many 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 pro hearings matter of fact um Ed Kemper, he's been up for so many. I mean, he don't want to get out of jail. He's happy where he's at. But just because you come up for parole hearings does not mean that you will get out of prison. Also, what keeps him in prison, he has no remorse or no 
nothing. He does not feel bad about nothing. He's not really admitted to nothing. In fact, when he got arrested, I, you know, some new information I put out. When he got arrested, he was actually laughing during the arrest. Also, he did the same thing while he was being sentenced. The sentence, the judge asked him, do you have anything? He was just laughing at while the sentence goes, you have life in prison without parole. And he was laughing during this. So he got 45 years before parole, so more likely he'll stay in. He'll be 63 years old, so he's not going nowhere. But there you go. There you go. Sorry for the bubbling through here. I kind of messed up. And I'm at home right now. And be honest with you, I know my daughter's going to come in here being a loud mouth, as she always is. So I'm going to try to get this recording out because it needs to be out. I like to put it out today. I'm Like I said, I'm going to put these out on Wednesdays. And uh, every week on Wednesdays, hopefully, unless something happens, you'll have a new episode of Truck Stop Murder and True Crime Podcast. And if this is something you like to hear in my mush mouth, like I said, I'm a truck driver. I do 14 hours a day. I have very limited time to research and do everything. So if you like it, good. If you don't. Oh, I'm sorry. You get what you get. If you don't like it, you can get. And if you do like what you get, then go to, I almost said someone else's podcast. <laughs> I almost said shut up and give me murder. I'm not small time murder. I'm truck stop. But if you like what I hear, please go to Apple iTunes, rate and review. It helps for some reason. And also you can join my Facebook group at Truck Stop Murder and True Crime Podcast or Truck Stop Murder on Twitter and Instagram. And if you have any questions or anything better, you could do me. You could bet anything better how I can improve this podcast. Email me at truckstopmurder at truckstopmurder at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. Also, I do have a Patreon page. And it's trucks at truckstopmurder and true crime podcasts. And if you don't want to you know, commit yourself to a monthly thing, then go ahead and PayPal me. You be I'm always I'm I'm always happy to take take a little donation. Try to get a little better equipment, better mic, better everything. So thank you for listening. And then like I always say, you can't fix stupid, but you could sure numb it with a two by four. Sorry for my mush mouth, but I am out of here. Goodbye. <laughs>